Section 35 of The Red and the Black, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tech Savvy. The Red and the Black, Volume 2, by Sten Dow. Translated by Horace B. Samuel. Chapter 35. A Storm. My God, give me mediocrity. By Mirabeau. His mind was engrossed. He only half answered the eager tenderness that she showed to him. He remained gloomy and taciturn. He had never seemed so great and so adorable in Mathilde's eyes. She was apprehensive of some subtle twist of his pride which would spoil the whole situation. She saw the Abbey Pirard come to the hotel nearly every morning. Might not Julian have dividend something of her father's intention through him? Might not the Marquis himself have written to him in a momentary caprice? What was the explanation of Julian's stern manner following on so great a happiness? She did not dare to question. She did not dare. She, Mathilde. From that moment, her feelings for Julian contained a certain vague and unexpected element which was almost panic. This arid soul experienced all the passion possible in an individual who has been brought up amid the excessive civilization which Paris so much admires. Early on the following day, Julian was at the house of the Abbey Pirard. Some post-horses were arriving in the courtyard with a dilapidated chaise, which had been hired at the neighboring station. A vehicle like that is out of fashion, said the stern abbey to him morosely. Here are twenty thousand francs, which M. de la Mole give you a gift of. He insists on your spending them within a year, but at the same time wants you to try to look as little ridiculous as possible. The priest regarded flinging away so substantial a sum on a young man as simply an opportunity for sin. The Marquis adds this, M. Julien de la Rene will have received this money from his father, whom it is needless to call by any other name. M. de la Venet will perhaps think it proper to give a present to M. Sorel, a carpenter of Verey, who cared for him in his childhood. I can undertake that commission, added the abbey. I have at last prevailed upon M. de la Mole to come to a settlement with the Jesuit, the abbey de Frelet, his influence is unquestionably too much for us. A complete recognition of your high birth on the part of this man, who is in fact the governor of B, will be one of the unwritten terms of arrangement. Julian could no longer control his ecstasy. He embraced the abbey. He saw himself recognized. For shame, said M. Pirard, pushing him away. What is the meaning of his worldly vanity? As for Sorel and his sons, I will offer them in my own name my yearly allowance of five hundred francs, which will be paid to each of them as long as I am satisfied with them. Julian was already cold and haughty. He expressed his thanks, but in the wise terms which bound him to nothing. Could it be possible, he said to himself, 
and I am the natural son of some great nobleman who was exiled to our mountains by the terrible Napoleon? This idea seemed less and less improbable every minute. My hatred of my father would be a proof of this. In that case, I should not be an unnatural monster after all. A few days after this soliloquy, the 15th Regiment of the Hussars, which was one of the most brilliant in the army, was being reviewed on the parade ground of Strasbourg. And the Chevalier de la Venay set the finest horse in Alsace, which had cost him 6,000 francs. He was received as a lieutenant, though he had never been sub-lieutenant except on the rolls of a regiment of which he had never heard. His impassive manner, his stern and almost malicious eyes, his pallor and his invariable self-possession founded his reputation from the very first day. Shortly afterwards, his perfect and calculated politeness and his skill at shooting and fencing, of which, though without any undue ostentation, he made his comrades aware, did away with all idea of making fun of him openly. After hesitating for five or six days, the public opinion of the regiment declared itself in his favor. "'This young man has everything,' said the facetious old officers, "'except youth.' Julian rode from Strasbourg to the old cure of Verey, M. Chillon, who was now verging on extreme old age. You will have learned, with a joy of which I have no doubt, of the events which have induced my family to enrich me. Here are five hundred francs which I request you to distribute quietly and without any mention of my name. Among those unfortunate ones who are now poor as I myself was once, and whom you will doubtless help as you once helped me. Julian was intoxicated with ambition, and not with the vanity. He nevertheless devoted a great part of his time to attending to his external appearance. His horses, his uniform, his orderly's liveries, were all kept with a correctness which would have done credit to the punctuallessness of a great English nobleman. He had scarcely been made a lieutenant as a matter of favor, then he began to calculate that if he was to become commander-in-chief at thirty, like all the great generals, then he must be more than a lieutenant at twenty-three at the latest. He thought about nothing except fame and his son. It was in the midst of the ecstasies of the most ringless ambition that he was surprised by the arrival of a young valet from the Hotel de la Mort, who had come with a letter. "'All is lost,' wrote Mathilde to him. "'Rush here as quickly as possible. Sacrifice everything. Desert, if necessary.' As soon as you have arrived, wait for me in a fiacre near the little garden door, near number blank of the street. Blank. I will come and speak to you. I shall perhaps be able to introduce you into the garden. All is lost, and I am afraid there is no way out. Count on me. You will find me staunch and firm in adversity. I love you. A few minutes afterwards, Julian obtained a furlough from the colonel and left Strasbourg at full gallop. But the awful anxiety which devoured him did not allow him to continue this method of travel beyond Metz. He flung himself into a post-chaise and arrived with an almost incredible rapidity at the indicated spot near the little garden door of the Hotel de la Mole. 
The door opened, and Mathilde, oblivious of all human conventions, rushed into his arms. Fortunately, it was only five o'clock in the morning, and the street was still deserted. All is lost. My father, fearing my tears, left Thursday night. Nobody knows wherefore. But here is his letter. Read it. She climbed into the fiacre with Julian. I could forgive everything except the plan of seducing you because you're rich. That unhappy girl is the awful truth. I give you my word of honor that I will never consent to a marriage with that man. I will guarantee him an income of 10,000 francs if he will live far away beyond the French frontiers, or better still, in America. Read the letter which I have just received in answer to the inquiries which I have made. The impudent scoundrel had himself requested me to write to Madame de Reno. I will never read a single line you write concerning that man. I feel a horror for both Paris and yourself. I urge you to cover what is bound to happen with the utmost secrecy. Be frank, have nothing more to do with that wild man, and you will find again the father you have lost. Where is Madame de Vinal's letter? said Julian coldly. Here it is. I do not want to show it to you before you were prepared for it. Letter My duties to the sacred cause of religion and morality oblige me, Monsieur, to take the painful course which I have just done with regard to yourself. An infallible principle orders me to do harm to my neighbor at the present moment, but only in order to avoid an even greater scandal. My sentiment of duty must overcome the pain which I experience. It is only too true, Monsieur, that the conduct of the person about whom you ask me to tell you the whole truth may seem incredible or even honest. It may possibly be considered proper to hide or disguise part of the truth. That would be in accordance with both prudence and religion. But the conduct about which you desire information has been, in fact, reprehensible to the last degree, and more than I can say poor and greedy as the man is it is only to be the aid of the most consummate hypocrisy and by seducing a weak and unhappy woman that he was endeavoured to make a career for himself and become someone in the world it is part of my painful duty to add that i am obliged to believe that m julian has no religious principles i am driven conscientiously to think that one of his methods of obtaining is to try to seduce the woman who commands the principal influence his one great object and in spite of his show of disinterestedness and his stock in trade of phrases out of the novels is to succeed in doing what he likes with the master of the household and his fortune he leaves behind him unhappiness and eternal remorse etc 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 this extremely long letter which was almost blotted out by tears was certainly madame de reno's handwriting it was even written with more than ordinary care. I cannot blame M. de Lamont, said Julian, after he had finished it. He is just and prudent. What father would give his beloved daughter to such a man? Adieu. Julian jumped out of the fiacre and rushed to his post chairs, which had stopped at the end of the street. Mathilde, whom he had apparently forgotten, took a few steps as though to follow him, but the looks she received from the tradesmen who were coming out on the thresholds of their shops and who knew who she was forced her to return precipitately to the garden. Julian had left for Verrier. 
during that rapid journey was unable to write to mathilde as he had intended his hand could only form illegible characters on the paper he arrived at Verrier on a sunday morning he entered the shop of a local gunsmith who overwhelmed it with congratulations on his recent good fortune it constituted the news of the locality julian had much difficulty in making him understand that he wanted a pair of pistols at his request the gunsmith loaded the pistols the three peals sounded it is a well-known signal in the villages of france and after the various ringings in the morning announces the immediate commencement of the mass julian entered the new church of verrier all the lofty windows of the building were veiled with crimson curtains julian found himself some spaces behind the pew of madame de Reno. it seemed to him that she was praying fervently the sight of the woman whom he had loved so much made julian's arm tremble so wildly that he was first unable to execute his project i cannot he said to himself it is a physical impossibility at that moment the young priest who was officiating at the mass rang the bell at the elevation of the host madame de Reno lowered her head which for a moment became entirely hidden by the folds of her shawl julian did not see her features so distinctly he aimed a pistol shot at her and missed her he aimed a second shot she fell end of chapter thirty five recorded by texel www.texel.wordpress.com